We are continuing our Hebrews study, and uh, we're moving along, and it's amazing that we've gone as far as we have, and that now we're over halfway done, but we're getting into what is just basically introductory remarks to where we get to the real, the real issues that are coming up for us in the chapters ahead now. But today is very significant, I believe, and the stage was just set for us in uh, looking to Jesus. He is the one that we're looking at. We're not looking at a person among ourselves or anybody else. We are looking to Jesus because he is the one that has, he's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that's setting the stride. You know what we mean by that? Those of us who run or have run in competition, we know what it means to get a stride. In other words, you know the race you're in, whether it's a, a short sprint or it's a long marathon. You learn how to pace yourself. And I think I've talked about the fact that when I was in junior high and high school, I was a runner. And the race that I loved the best was a three-quarter mile called the 1320, 1,320 yards. And it was not a long run, nor was it a short one. But you had to run full speed ahead in three laps in order to be able to be a winner. You have to learn to stride in the race that you are running. And if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it's a uh, incredible movie. And the real hero in that is a committed Christian who then became a missionary in China. And just to boast a little bit, my wife was in the same prison camp as he was. She was three years old and he was 35 or 40. That's the prison camp he died in. But Katie and her family went back to Canada. The point is, Eric had been training for years for a certain run and then found out that he was chosen for the Olympics to run in France. But his heat, the race that he was to race in, was on Sunday. And he said, no, I cannot run. And the team really put pressure on him that he must run. That's what he was chosen for, to run that race. And it didn't matter what day it was. And he said, well, it does matter. It does matter. I will not run. But then a colleague of his who actually had two events to run had already received his gold medal in his event and had another event to run. He said, Eric, Take my run, which Eric wasn't used to. He didn't know the stride, but he wanted it to be a witness and a testimony to the Lord. And so the next day on Monday, he ran in place of his colleague, and he won the gold medal. And his statement was, the Bible verse that says, He who honors me, I will honor and that is what we're running for. Not for a gold medal, but for that 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That is what all Christians should be looking at. Not, whoa, I got in. No, it's that I've arrived to be with Jesus and it's for his glory and for his honor and his praise. That's why we run. So we're looking to Jesus, who is the mediator for us. And we've talked about what a mediator is before and the uh, fact that Jesus is our mediator or a lawyer on our behalf. And we're going to look into this more deeply today. Here's our passage. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. But when every commandment has been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Let's pray. Father, these these things are deep and in some ways hard to understand for us in this generation. And so we pray that you would help our hearts and our minds and our ears to be able to receive what the truth you have to say to us today that applies to us personally in our own personal lives right now here in 2018. Make these words relevant to us by your Holy Spirit. 
we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, the mediator. And our first point is uh, of a new covenant or will is verses 15 to 22. And then we'll look at, therefore, it was necessary in verses 23 to 26. And then it is appointed for men to die, verses 27 to 28. Of a new covenant or will. What the author is doing right here, and it's a little confusing, and I'm not going to bore you with the details of this text. And these verses are kind of mixed up. In one verse, he says he's talking about covenant, and then he talks about will. And then he goes back to talking about covenant, but he's, what is the difference between a covenant and a will? Well, they're pretty much the same, except that one has a specific requirement to it, and the other doesn't necessarily have to have that. The covenant is something that is an agreement between two parties. And it doesn't mean that that either one of them have to die to make that agreement effective. We all go into covenants with in, in some way or another. And uh, for instance, maybe your university gives you equipment to use for your specific project that you have. And so you go to the office and you sign out a piece of equipment, say a computer or whatever it is, overhead projector, and you sign your name on that. And the idea is they'll give it to you to use for a specific project or period of time, and then you'll bring it back in good shape and be relieved from the responsibility of that machine or whatever it is. We also do this with the bank when you borrow money for a car. Of course, they're the ones that are always the winners, the the people that loan you the money. You end up paying twice as much for your car, maybe even three times as much for your car than if you just saved up money for it and bought it outright with your own cash. But nonetheless, you've got a deal going so that you're not using your money so that you can eat for the next three or four or five years, but you're going to pay somebody a lot of money. That is also like a covenant or a contract would be another word. But a will is much different. And a will is actually an agreement that a person has that their property or their specific project or whatever, they will give that possession to whoever they want when they pass on. Now, say you had a piece of property. I have a piece of property in Washington State. It's a very valuable piece of property. because it's in Washington State. (laughs) If it was New York, sure, it would be worth millions of dollars, but I wouldn't want it. Who would want to live in New York City downtown, right? Okay, But in Washington State, it's a very beautiful street. It's got trees. It's got birds. It's got everything you would want. I have willed that. Katie and I together own it, and we have willed that to our children. But the thing is, our children can't get it until we die. (laughs) 
Okay? You, you know what that is. And most of you who are parents and have been able to buy property and house, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, a will is made up as an agreement. But the writer, getting back now, we're going back to Hebrews, okay? Basically, the author of Hebrews is lumping together both the covenant and the will together. And so he kind of mixes it. And so when you're reading down through there, is he talking about the will or is he talking about the covenant? Well, he's talking about both. And he's talking about Jesus Christ who has come to give us the kingdom or bring us the kingdom. And we become partakers. We become owners and participants in that kingdom. And that's what we get to have as the children of God through Jesus Christ. We get a part of heaven. That's promised. But there had to be a deal made, a contract made. And according to what he's saying in this chapter, he's saying, since there is a new covenant or a will that someone has to die. In verse 15, he says, since a death has taken place. That's the trigger. That's what spurs the negotiation. And so you can take that to the bank, so to speak. You can say, my father died and left this property to me. And a lawyer will look at it and say, okay, let's look at all the deal here. Oh yeah, it's this property here, this description, and let's record that at the city office and put it in your name then. That's basically what happens when you become a Christian and when you are then appealing to the holy God, the righteous one, in the name of his son, who he acknowledges that son has died, that then I become part owner of the eternal kingdom. When does that happen? Right now. Right when you make that decision. It's not, if you're good enough, if you just try hard, you'll be a good Christian. No, it means right now when you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and ask Him to come in, to cleanse you with His blood and make you clean. It happens right then and now. But many of us really don't understand that. We don't get it because there's this nagging, nagging, nagging thing of our own consciences that condemn us and others accusing us. And there's a devil out there and many of his minions who accuse us daily. And it's hard for us to hear these things. You're not really a Christian. What do you mean? That doesn't look like a Christian to me. You're not a Christian at all. Every one of us struggle in that area. Paul the Apostle in Romans clearly stated that. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? We've all gone through that, haven't we? We're going through it right now. And that's where the rub comes. 
that's where the test comes of whether we are really going to continue to run the race effectively and know the stride and be looking to Jesus who has set the stride for us. He's the pacer, if you would have it. A pacer is someone who runs alongside, not on the track, but on the inside, who helps the runner keep his pace proper. When I was in high school, I trained with a guy who was my pacer. And he would run on the inside of the track, where the grass is and the stands and all. And I would run on the track. And I'd have to keep up with him. That's what Jesus does. That's what he sent his Holy Spirit for. He's our pacer. He makes us to be able to run and to set the pace and the stride of the race that we're running. And the amazing thing is, the Holy Spirit pacer knows exactly what our race is. I don't know what my race is. The tape for me might be this evening where I hit the tape, I'm home free. Much more so for me than maybe for some of you. You may have many laps to go yet to run the Christian race, to be in the race because it's something that we can't get out of. You can't just say, well, I'm tired of this. No, life is a race and we're in it for life, right? That's what the Christian life is about. Okay, I'm just going to get off this point with just these points that I'll make here. I said that the author of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is kind of mixing the covenant and the will. But there are some blood covenants that I think that are very important. I'm going to mention four of them. The first one is one that I've mentioned so many times here at this pulpit. It's the Adamic covenant God made on behalf of mankind. It's in Genesis 3.21. It was made for Adam. But we also being the sons and daughters of Adam are part of that Adamic nature, but also the Adamic covenant that he makes. What was it? They sinned and they were separated from God, but God did something for them. What was it? The sheep over me, the ghee kanji. Don't forget that. That was the Adamic covenant that God made in Genesis 3.21. And then the next one was in Genesis as well. That was the Abrahamic covenant. It's when God commanded Abraham to set up in Genesis 15.9-21, in which God himself will set up a covenant. It was the Semitic covenant where animals were killed and split in half and laid out with blood being poured in the, uh, in the pathway between these two halves of animals. And the partners or that were making a covenant, the two people making a covenant together, they would walk between those animals. That was what they actually practiced way, way, way back, thousands of years ago. The one that God instructed Abram 
to facilitate. He said to Abram, take animals and kill them, split them in half and lay them out. Pour the blood in the center path. Abram did that and then he got very weary and drowsy and fell asleep. And then he woke up and he saw a fire pot moving between the split animals, the halves of the carcasses. And with that also a flaming torch. And it was God himself facilitating that agreement. Who was the fire pot? And who was the fire? You can research that this week. Abram did not walk between the animals. But it's called the Abrahamic covenant because it was made on behalf of all the descendants of Abraham and God's promise. And we are also the sons of Abraham because of our elder brother, Jesus Christ, who has brought us in to be part of that promise. Okay, the third one is the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant was actually made from the time that they were in slavery, Israel was in slavery, to the time when the temple was finally destroyed. It happened while they were still in Egypt. It happened on one night. It was the tenth plague. And the firstborn of those who would not recognize the blood on the doorpost and the lentil. That was the covenant that was made. And that's what Israel has recognized as a nation all the way up until now. And the problem with them right now is they haven't recognized the reality of when that Mosaic covenant ended. When did it end? When the the veil in the temple was rent in two and we had free access and we didn't have to go through an earthly priest to go to the Father or an animal sacrifice. We have ready access because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Israel is looking even today to rebuild that temple. But you know what? That temple will really not be effective. Why? It's out of date. It's out of date. It may have some meaning for the fact that God is not threatened by our beliefs. He's not going by what we as man think he ought to do. He's God. And he will see that those whose eyes are blind right now and they're designing a temple for Jerusalem and they're just waiting for a place to place it. Apparently, according to things that I read, the new temple has been already designed and the pieces are there somewhere to be put together. But the problem is there's another religion sitting in that spot. And now they're trying to determine was it really that spot or was it just a little bit over to the side where we can put that temple? 
They're trying so hard. And it's all done. It's been done for centuries. And they haven't recognized their Messiah. Pray for our Jewish friends that their eyes be open, that they see that Jesus Christ is in fact the Messiah. And he's come already. And he's died on the cross, spilled his blood for us, the sacrifice lamb, the Passover lamb. It's done. Jesus said, it's finished. That is where our faith is. That is what our drive is. That's what spurs us on to really understand and and to know what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know what? I'm going to stop right there. I'll let you out of school early. Isn't Isn't that great? But I think what I would like us to do for the next few moments here is let's just think about these things. I'd like just to have a quiet time of reflection. I'll read this verse for us again. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment has been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, He took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. Next week, we're going to look at the actual instance that the author is referring to here. Think about this, though. It doesn't name who, but it says, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Can you imagine being an Israelite Jess had come out of Egypt and Moses had come down from the mountain and talked about what God had told him to build. And then one morning, Moses comes out and he says, okay, this is a special day. Everybody gather around. And it doesn't tell him how many animals, but he called together the priests and said, kill these animals. And with half of them, he put it in one bowl, and in half, he put it in another bowl. And he sprinkled all the articles of the tabernacle. And then he sprinkled all the people with blood. You know, it's hard to get blood out of cloth. 
You know, if you have a blood stain, you have to be very careful how you get that out because blood can destroy a whole garment as far as having a mark on it, particularly if it's white or light colored. But can you imagine if I was to start just scattering blood here, around here, to every one of us? Oh, that's gory. But, 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 do you know what they understood that to be? That's a mark that I belong. I belong to God, the righteous one. That's the mark that I prize. And so if I get it on my shirt, and that's not the reason why I wore this color shirt. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I should have worn a white one. But you know what? If I had received that sprinkling of the blood on my white shirt, I would have worn it like a badge. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's our badge. It's our identity to who we are. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed of the blood of Jesus Christ who purchased us and made us his own. And all God's people said,